When will you comfort me? Though I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your statutes. How many are the days of your servant? When will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? The arrogant have dug pits for me. Men who are not in the accord with your law. All your commandments are faithful. They have persecuted me with a lie. Help me. They almost destroyed me on earth. But as for me, I did not forsake your precepts. Revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. Lord, I pray that we would be revived. That you would give us life this morning. Not so that we can go out and build our kingdom, but so that we can glorify your name in keeping your commands and obeying the voice of your mouth this morning. When we get to the end of our rope, Lord, I pray that we would not turn to this world, but like the psalmist, our hearts would cry out in prayer and we would continue to obey you no matter how helpless it seems to be. Lord, give us hope when we're at the end of our ropes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We can be seated. Well, I just uh, decided to change the title of my message because it sounded really good. This was a, a new idea. Um, so... This morning's message is entitled, Hope at the End of Our Rope. Hope at the End of Our Rope. We've seen in the last section, and actually the section before that, just the extreme persecution and the hatred that the psalmist is receiving from his enemies. And it seems like they are having the victory. He hasn't quit. He's continuing to cling to the Lord. Right, we see, for example, in verse 69, the arrogant have forged a lie against me. But what does he do? He says, with all my heart I will observe your precepts. In light of that, I'm still going to observe your precepts. And then verse 78, he says, May the arrogant be ashamed, for they subvert me with a lie, but I will meditate on your precepts. You see this? He has enemies around him who are seeking to destroy him using lies and, and arrogance and insolence. But the psalmist continually returns to the Lord. But in this section, the psalmist is at the end of his rope. I don't know if you've ever seen um, some very outdated movies, but um, I don't even know that I've seen this movie. I just saw a clip from it called Cliffhanger. In this movie, uh, the famous guy what, what, plays Rambo. I can't remember his name, but so much. See, so Sylvester Stallone, you know, he always somehow manages to survive no matter how many forces come against him. Uh, he's like the Chuck Norris. Um, but they're at the end of their rope, and they're trying to get away from the, the enemy, but he does something that's actually impossible to get away. <laughs> uh, 
And it's funny, in that ch the, the clip that I saw, it was actually a rock climber explaining how that was not possible. Um, and I was just thinking, in our life, how often at the end of our rope do we turn to everything but the Lord? What do we do when we get to the end of our rope? Well, the psalmist lays out what we do and what we should do. I believe that this psalm proclaims two important truths at the end of our rope. You want to have hope when you get to the end of your rope? You need to be a man or woman of prayer, and you need to continue to obey the Word of God. Those two things. Don't stop obeying because the rope has come to its end. Because the rope is Christ Himself. You're hanging on to Him. You're not letting go. And so we need to pray and continually cry out to the Lord like the psalmist is here. And we need to obey what we know to do. Because God's Word is faithful. And we will see that. So starting in verse 81, the psalmist in this Kaf, Kaf is the name of the Hebrew letter, section of Psalm 119 he says, my soul languishes. This is not like, oh, my soul really wants, would really like. It's not like his soul is saying, yo quiero salvation. You know, those Taco Bell commercials. Um, no, he languishes. It's If we translated this in one, one way, we could say, my soul is exhausted with longing. Exhausted like you can imagine that man who screamed Nikeo to declare the victory. What happened next? He died. <laughs> so imagine that kind of exhaustion. So exhausted that he's near death. Uh, the, the word here that's translated longing is actually the word, my soul is complete with exhaustion. It's filled up. There's no more exhaustion that my soul can take just waiting on you, Lord. And what is he waiting on? Is he just waiting on a word from the Lord? No, he's waiting on the Lord to act. Waiting on the salvation of the Lord. He's waiting on deliverance from his enemies. Like some mothers wait for their husbands to come home. Because <laughs> their hearts cannot take any more. <laughs> and as many fathers do when their wives go to the store, <laughs> their soul is waiting anxiously for their salvation. <laughs> um, <laughs> or all the fathers that got home after this weekend, uh, the mothers were so glad to see us. Um, but that languishing and, and feeling hopeless. But the psalmist didn't lose hope, right? He said, I wait for your word. Yes, my soul is completely exhausted. There's no more strength in me 
but I wait for your word. Not my word, not my opinions, not the opinions of the world, not the opinions of those around me, but I will wait on your word. That's where salvation is going to come. I'm not going to let go of the rope just because I'm at the end of it. I'm going to trust that you know why you put me here. That you have a way of escape. But he doesn't stop there. He kind of doubles down in verse 82. Right? This is almost like a parallelism in the Hebrew poetry. So he's kind of saying the same thing twice in verse 82 because he says, My eyes fail with longing. Very, very similar. My eyes long for your word. What are they what are they longing for? His word, right? Again, this is salvation. He's longing for his word. What is he longing for in the word of God? The fulfillment of God's word. The fulfillment of God's promise. That's actually how the ESV translates this. The ESV translates, My eyes uh, long for the fulfillment of your promises. Or long for your promises. Is that what happens when we get to the end of our rope? Do we long for the Lord's promises? Or are we... Longing for just, I don't care what happens, just get me out of here. I'm done with this. But when he is in this state of languishing for salvation, he's waiting on the Lord. But not only that, it says in the second half of verse 82, while his eyes are failing with longing, like he can no longer look anymore. His, t- his eyes are so tired. His eyes are nearly shutting because he, he's waiting and he just can't do it any longer. He's too weak. He needs rest from this battle. But he says, while I say, when will you comfort me? The psalmist is real. He's not putting on a show for us. Have you ever felt that expression? When will you comfort me? When will you wrap me in your arms and comfort me? When will you bring me to yourself? When will you release me from this trial or this temptation or this struggle? The psalmist is describing a man who is spiritually exhausted. And when you're spiritually exhausted, it doesn't stop with your spirit, right? It, it goes to every part of your being, your emotions, your, your physical strength. How many times have you been under spiritual attack and you've noticed that your physical and emotional well-being is also diminished and weakened. Well, this is his state. And this is his thought in verse 83. He says, Though I have become like... So he's going to compare something. 
Right? He's saying, I have become like a wineskin in the smoke. So, as we were saying, he's using a comparison that's not very common in, in our culture. We don't know what a wineskin is. We know what a wine bottle is. But we don't use wineskins anymore that I know of. And so, he's comparing a wineskin in the smoke. What, what is a wineskin in the smoke? What's that idea? Well, just imagine that in these, this area, he is, has his wineskin up by the chimney and the fire, and, and there's smoke coming up. What do you think happens to that wineskin? Well, there's a couple things. One, it probably gets a little smoked out, a little dried out. But also, it probably gets lost in the smoke. Mike, I think my owner forgot about me. You hung me up over here and, and you're using a new wineskin now because you can't find me because I'm, I'm covered with smoke and soot. So he's, he's feeling alone and forgotten. So like that, he says, I feel like that. I, I, I feel like this forgotten piece or vessel that you used to use often. But, but now I'm, I feel alone. I'm, I'm languishing. My soul is just hopeless. It feels like there's no salvation coming. But he says in verse 83, it's constant. Every time he has a terrible situation, he makes a proclamation. And he says, but I do not forget your statutes. I haven't forgotten. Yes, I know that I feel forgotten. I feel left aside. I feel dried out and, and hopeless. But I do not Forget your statutes. Is that how we... Do we turn to the Word of God? In the midst... Are we crying out like the psalmist does? The psalmist is bearing his heart. This is a prayer to God. Right? Because he's crying out. He's saying, My soul languishes for your salvation. He's talking to the Lord. But he continually reminds the Lord, I have not stopped waiting on your word. What does waiting on God's word look like? Obedience. Right? And he hasn't stopped for remembering his statutes. He's continuing to remember. That means he's getting in God's word. He's making God's word a continual reminder in his life. He feels forgotten, but he hasn't forgotten God's Word. I know in my own life, when I feel forgotten, the last thing I want to do is go to God's Word in my flesh. I'm like, well, God, if you don't remember me, why would I remember you? Well, maybe I'm the only one here. I don't know. But isn't that how we want to respond when people don't reach out to us? You're just like... Why does this have to be a one-way relationship? Right, that's how he's feeling as a wineskin. You know, this is one way. I do all the, the, 
but communicating, and I never hear back from you. I've experienced that a few times. <laughs> but what the psalmist is doing is he's saying, I don't care if it continues to be a one-way relationship, I'm going to keep remembering your word. I'm going to continue to wait on you because you are my only hope. You are my salvation. He goes on in verse 84. He says, How many are the days of your servant? Like, is this the end of his life? I, I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think he's talking about the feeling of being what verse 83 says. That feeling of being forgotten. How many days will I be forgotten, O Lord? Right? Because like, how long will I endure injustice at the hand of my enemies? Because right, that's who he's talking about. And we see that right here in verse 84. Right, Because he then asked the Lord a question. He says, when will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? This is, the, this is the cause of his languishing. It is people who are persecuting him. The insolent ones, the, the arrogant ones. How many times have you felt this way because of the way someone was treating you or persecuting you or how unpopular popular you became because you made a stand on the truth of God's word? And you're just saying, Lord, it seems like these people are getting away with injustice and you're doing nothing about it. They're pushing me off the cliff and they're about to cut the rope at the top and I'm at the end of the rope and there's still thousands of feet below me. If you don't come and execute judgment, I don't know what's going to happen. When are you going to execute judgment? They're pursuing me with one purpose, to destroy me. That's all they care about. They want to destroy me. Why? Because they're working under the power of their king. They're serving Satan. They're coming to destroy me because that's the role of their leader. I don't think it's wrong to ask God to execute judgment. Not that we also don't ask God to, if it is, is His will, to show mercy to them and let them see their sin so that they can be transformed. But God will execute His justice and His judgment. The problem is, oftentimes we get to the end of the rope and we're like, well, I give up. This is not worth it. We lose hope because we see the end of the rope and we're like, well, there's nowhere else to go. No, keep holding on. Don't, don't give up just because circumstances have come to a place where you feel like God's Word is no longer effective anymore. Your waiting on the Word seems to only get you into worse and worse persecution. That the people of this world are continuing to pursue you even more. 
arrogantly and without fear. And they're trying to trap you. Verse 85, the arrogant have dug pits for me. Now, why would they do that? Well, it says, men who are not in accord with your law. They, they don't care about what God's word says. They could care less. That's why they're treating us the way they do. Because if they cared what God's word says, they would not treat us that way. This is a really, very good measuring stick for us. If people in the world are treating this way, us this way, we, we know where they lie, but in the church especially, are people seeking to trap us in the church? If And here's a, a kick back to us. Do we try to get people to trap themselves in the church to win arguments? Do we set a trap just so we can win the argument? I mean, this isn't quite the same. I mean, they actually want to destroy him. They don't care. But in the church, often in our selfishness, we want to win the, the, the argument so much that we set a trap for them. And then when they fall in, we're like, ha, see, I got you. See, you're, you're ignorant or, or whatever. This really bothers me to see the church attacking one another. We should judge in the church truth. The Bible is clear about that. But oftentimes we use the public square as a means of bringing justice in the church. And that is not scriptural. Right? The, Paul was talking about them dragging one another to the judges to settle disputes. That's what we're doing if we do it in the public square, whether it's uh, Twitter, Facebook, so, uh, Instagram, whatever the social media site is. When we're bashing one another there, instead of going individually, this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately, so sorry, it's a, a little bit of a pet peeve that may not totally apply here. But we're using these platforms that are of the world, right? This is... This is where justice is done in our world today, right? If you, if you are disliked on social media, it's can, you're canceled. That's kind of a, that's judgment that's being weighed down by the world on those that disagree with them. So, in reality, when we decide to throw our disputes and our, our issues on Facebook or Twitter or whatever that, it's, that social media source is that we especially when it involves other brothers and sisters. That's, instead of addressing those people directly, which is what Scripture says to do, right? Scripture says, approach this person individually, then bring two or three others with you, not all of Facebook, and then go take it to the elders of the church. How many of the people on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and whatever other social media sites are skipping all those steps and jumping straight to the world, which is actually not even scriptural anywhere. That's definitely a rabbit trail, but it's, it's awful in the church when we seek to set traps for our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
and we're seeking to draw in people to our trap so that we can destroy them and, and put them down. Our, our goal as Christians should be to edify one another. Sometimes it, it requires confrontation. But the confrontation is not to tear them down, but to build them up. Unfortunately, our world loves to tear one another down, and that is crept into the church. And honestly, it's, it's a natural thing. It's, it's a desire of man. And so we have to be on guard as brothers and sisters in Christ that we're not doing what the insolent and arrogant are doing of this world. Instead of digging pits, let us build them up. So we're at the end of our rope and we're looking for hope. Well, verse 86, he says, All your commandments are faithful, or they're all sure. They won't let you down. God, I know that your words are faithful. They're, they're sure. They have never let me down. It's almost like he reverses what he's been saying, right? Because usually he has the affirmative, I'm doing this, I trust this. But this time he, he reverses. He says, they have persecuted me with a lie. Help me. Why? Because your word is sure. I can trust you. He's crying out to God in prayer. Help me, Lord. He's not being Carrie Underwood. If you know what I'm talking about. He's not getting himself in a situation because of disobedience and lies and then crying out for Jesus to take the wheel. Now you know the explicit reference. <laughs> but, no, he is, he is living for Christ. He's looking to God for his salvation. He's waiting on the Lord. So much so that he's languishing. His eyes are failing. He's exhausted. But he hasn't forgotten the Word of God. He hasn't forgotten that God's Word is faithful that when God gives his commands he will always faithfully keep them he's remembered the promises of God right God commands the people of Israel in Deuteronomy I think it's 23 if you do these things then I will cause this to happen but if you fail to do these things then I will bring these curses upon you so he's remembering that promise that's a command of God. You do this, and I will do this. Whatever we choose to do will always have a consequences. We, we don't get to choose the consequences. We choose what to do, and if we know the consequences like the psalmist does, then we should have assurance that God is on our side. People will lie about us. They will speak evil about us. If they did it to Jesus, why wouldn't they do it to us? What does he say? He says, 
they will treat you this way because they hate me, not because they hate you. The world hates truth. Because the truth convicts them of sin. That doesn't mean we go out there and say things in a way that is purposely trying to agitate people. But we need to be truthful in this world. And not allow the lies of Satan or the lies even of people who claim to be Christians to keep us from following the Lord. There are a lot of people in this world who are blaming Christians for their lack of faith in God. Well, if, Christ, if so-and-so hadn't heard me, then I would be following Jesus. No, you're making a choice to define whether you believe God on the actions of someone else. You're not going to God's Word and saying, you know what? That person did hurt me. But God's Word says that's not right. And so I can follow God and find believers who are truthfully, honestly following Him. So those who are pursuing Him, they seem to be gaining a lot of ground, right? They, they're getting near the end. And it says in verse 87, they almost... It would have only taken a little bit more and they would have destroyed me on the earth. They would have taken me out. They almost did it. But something happened. So they're at the, he's at the end of his rope again here. They've almost destroyed me, but what does he say? He says, but as for me, I did not forsake your precepts. And I don't know if he's talking about past here, if he's just continuing the prayer. You know what? Maybe this was a passage. He's been at the end of his rope multiple times. But he did not forsake his hope in the Lord. He did not forsake the Word of God. He continued to obey, and he continued to turn to Lord, the Lord in prayer crying out for mercy and grace and strength and justice. So when we get to the end of our rope and we're exhausted and we feel like we can no longer hold on it, my, my hands are cramping, my, my body is weak, all it takes is one, one more Moment and I'm I'm done. Well, cry out like the psalmist. Pray this prayer, verse eighty-eight. Revive me according to your loving kindness, or steadfast love. This is the Hesed love of the Old Testament. That covenant love that is talked about so many times in Psalm one nineteen. That love that never ends. Right? Bring me back to life through or by the agency of your love that doesn't end. Do we cry that prayer? Are we 
relying on the biblical understanding of God's love, His covenant love, when we cry out for revival, for Him to give us life again, to give us refreshment, right? right? Because we're feeling burdened down and, and hopeless and, and exhausted Are we relying on on God's loving kindness to revive us? Or do we think He's forgotten us completely? We think we're that wineskin in the smoke and there's just no hope. I I pray that we are reminded and, and constantly remembering God's loving kindness. That He made a covenant with us. That He would never leave nor forsake you. Why? Because He loves you. Just as we make that promise on our wedding day, that no matter what happens, poverty, sickness, whatever comes, I will love you. Now, Our world has distorted that and unfortunately many in the church are accepting that distortion of marriage. But God has made a covenant with us. You are my children. I will never leave nor forsake you. I will go with you. You will encounter trouble. You will encounter trial. But fear not for I have overcome the world. We want to dwell on, in this world you will have trouble. Amen! Right? Remember Brother Hamilton talking about that. So why? Why would the Lord revive us? Why would the Lord give us life? Well, the psalmist gives us a clue because he says the reason that he wants the Lord to revive him and give him life again, bring back life into his body. Why? Because he's weak and exhausted. He says, so that, this is a purpose. Remember, I've been teaching this since Romans. If you see so that in the Bible, it's a purpose clause. It's telling you why something should be done. He says, so that I may... Keep my commands. Is that what he says? So that I may do what I please. Isn't that kind of how people, Lord, if you save me right now, I will. That's actually what the psalmist does, right? He says, so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth, so that I can do what you have said to do. And why would that, why would the, the Lord want to hear that because who will get the glory when we keep his commands he will because we can't do it in our own strength and when people are living according to his word which is contrary to what the world is teaching is contrary to what is popular and people see success against the enemy they say What you are doing is nuts. You're crazy. 
But somehow you have hope. I've seen you at the end of the rope over there two weeks ago or, or last year and, and ten years ago. And, and yet somehow your prayers worked. Your God actually did what he said he would do. We tried to get you to turn to the bank. We tried to get you to turn to, to, to the, the hospitals or, or whatever. But somehow, your God answered. I, I don't know how that works. So God will get the glory in our lives because we are keeping His commands. Why? Because we're waiting on His commands. We're obeying His commands. The reason we as a church and as Christians need revival is because we're feeling exhausted. I don't know about you, spiritually. There's an exhaustion because it feels like the Lord has forgotten us. But He hasn't. He has not forgotten us. And though our soul is in the midst of feeling alone and and languishing. Wait on the Lord. Wait on His Word. Continue to obey Him. Continue to cry out, Lord, revive me. Bring me life from the dead. Lord, there are people on social media and, and in the world who are blaspheming Your name and making fun of me because I trust You. But I will not Forsake your commandments. I will not forsake you. I will continue to obey even if it looks like I will never see the salvation of the Lord. When you're at the end of your rope, where will you turn? Will you have hope in Christ? Will you have hope in the Lord? Or will you have hope in In nothing, and that which fails. May we turn to the Lord. May we be people of the Lord in the good and the bad. Because if God is not worthy, I've said this multiple times, if God is not worthy to be praised and worshipped in the midst of the storm, He is not a God who is worthy to be praised at all. May we be willing to suffer whatever comes our way for the glory of our Creator. Let's pray. Lord, encourage us in your word. Lord, I know the psalmist could wait on your word because he delighted so much in it. Increase our delight in your word. Show us how to spend time in that which we desire to delight in. Show us how to live as those who delight in Your Word so that we would begin to live as those who delight in Your Word and begin to see You transform our hearts so that we delight in Your Word as much as the psalmist says, as much as our Savior Jesus Christ delighted in Your Word and Your will. Help us to remain steadfast, O Lord. 
to turn to your loving kindness to be people of obedience and prayer. Encourage us, Lord, in your word. Encourage us, O Lord, in our fellowship. Encourage us, O Lord, to never give up. Revive us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Breathe life into us, Lord, just like you did Adam when you created him and formed him from the earth. Breathe life afresh into each of us and into your body here and into the churches in this nation. Lord, bring revival before your judgment falls fully upon our nation. Give us courage to speak the truth in hopes that there would be a harvest of souls. Turn us again to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.